We read in the chapter we read, first verse and second, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, set your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry unto her that a warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she hath received that the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, Or know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you, which ye have from God, and ye are not your own? For you were bought with a price. Glorify God, therefore, in your body. We have, in this morning hour, on the basis of these and other similar passages of Holy Writ, the instruction of a Hardleby Catechism in the first Lord's Day. Uh, what is uh, thy only comfort in life and in death? Uh, that I, with body and soul, both in life and in death, am not my own, uh, but belong unto my faithful Savior Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood hath fully satisfied for all my sins and delivered me from all the power of the devil and so preserves me that without the will of my heavenly Father and not a hair can fall from my head Yea, that all things must be subservient to my salvation. And therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me sincerely willing and ready henceforth to live unto him. How many things are necessary for thee to know that thou, enjoying this comfort, mayest live and die happily? Three. The first, how great my sins and miseries are. The second, how I may be delivered from all my sins and miseries. The third, how I shall express my gratitude to God for such deliverance. But the Heidelberg Catechism, beloved, through which we have preached many a time, in fact, I know not how many times. It's always new. It's always fresh. It's always full of life and comfort. And so is the preaching that is based upon it, or should be anyway. 
I may offer a brief introduction to the Catechism, and as far as this Lord's Day is concerned, a brief introduction to the entire preaching of the Catechism and the Sundays that follow. You know, the Catechism is one of our three forms of unity. The Catechism, the Netherlands or Belgian Confession of the 37 Articles, and the Canons of Dordrecht. On these three forms of unity, our churches, our Protestant Reformed churches, are based officially and principally. There is considerable difference between these three forms of unity, and not principally, of course, but nevertheless in content as well as in form. The Hadleburg Catechism covers the whole of the doctrine of Scripture, and not so much in systematic form, but from the viewpoint of the experience of the Christian as the truth is applied unto his heart by the Spirit and Word of God. That is the character of the Catechism. And in harmony with that character, the form is that also that follows the subjective experience of the believing Christian. Sin, the experience of sin, redemption, and the experience of redemption, and gratitude, ending with, as we have just done, with the Lord's Prayer. The Netherlands Confession is different, not in contents, because it also covers the whole of the doctrine contained in Scripture, uh, but it follows a more dogmatic and systematic order. For the Belgian Confession follows the order after an introduction about Scripture of the doctrine of God, the doctrine of man, the doctrine of Christ, the doctrine of redemption, the doctrine of the Church, and the doctrine of the last things. That is the objective and dogmatic content and form of the Netherlands Confession in distinction from the content of the Harbour Catechism. And the canons of Dordrecht 
are really confined emphatically or specially to the doctrine of the church from a certain point of view. That is, from the point of view of absolute predestination, election and reprobation. Although, of course, with the doctrine of election and reprobation, everything is connected, and therefore also the canons of Dodre do not merely speak of the doctrine of predestination, but also speak of the redemption in Christ of total depravity, of redemption and deliverance through the Holy Spirit, and of the perseverance of the saints. And that is the difference. Now, we are confined in our preaching, as has been the custom of the Church, almost since the Catechism was adopted, uh, namely that uh, the preaching uh, in one of the services is based on the Heidelberg Catechism, we are confined here in the preaching to that Catechism. And you know, uh, that Catechism is a most wonderful book. It has been written a little after the year 1560. It was written chiefly by Zacharias Erzinus of Heidelberg and of, uh, by Casper uh, Olivianus who helped him. It was written originally in German, of course. Uh, but that little book, beloved, that little Heidelberg Catechism became so famous throughout the world uh, that it was translated in no less than 14 or 15 languages. That's astounding. It's worth it. It was translated even in languages like the Hebrew. There's a Hebrew translation of the Heidelberg Catechism. It was translated in languages like the Greek. And both in the Old Greek and in the Modern Greek. It was translated in the Latin the Roman language. It was translated in Polish and Hungarian and of course in French and English and Dutch and it was even translated in what is called the Malay language in India. That shows that the Hanbal Catechism is indeed appreciated the world over and no wonder. It's a most beautiful book of instruction, beloved, as well as the most fundamental basis 
for the Church of Jesus Christ, for the Reformed Churches in the midst of the world. And therefore, we in this morning hour cannot finish even the contents of the first Lord's Day. That's not the idea. That's not the idea. Uh, he that tries to do this makes a mistake. I remember one pastor who preached 31 Sundays on this first Lord's Day. But of course he made the mistake that he covered uh, practically the whole catechism. All things are mentioned in the first Lord's Day, don't you know? What I say, only comfort in life and in death. I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That covers the whole business. Who satisfied for my sin. Who delivers me from all the power of the devil who cares for me and merits for me that my heavenly Father cares for me, who assures me by his Holy Spirit and word that this is true and that I belong to my faithful Savior Jesus Christ, who makes me willing to serve him the whole thing. Sin, redemption, gratitude, all is included in this first Lord's Day. It's not the idea, therefore, to preach on this Lord's Day in detail. The fundamental idea of this first Lord's Day is, of course, the viewpoint. The viewpoint of the catechism. And that viewpoint is that of the only comfort in life, and a death. And to that viewpoint of the Heidelberg Catechism, we wish to call your attention a few moments this morning. The only comfort in life and a death. Its idea, its grounds, and the way of possessing it is mentioned in this Lord's Day. Do not forget, beloved, when I preach on the Catechism, as I once did, especially the first year, emphatically, uh, when I preach on the Catechism, uh, that the Catechism is subjective. It's subjective. It's not objective. It's subjective in the good and healthy sense of the word. But subjective, I mean that the truth, as it is applied to the heart of the believer by the Holy Spirit, and therefore experienced by the believer, is emphasized in the catechism. Not simply the objective truth of Scripture. Not simply the objective truth of dogmatics, of doctrine. But the subjective application of the truth by the Holy Spirit to the heart of the believer as it is experienced by him. That is 
the idea and the viewpoint of the Heidelberg Catechism. One more thing. You must never forget, and it shouldn't be forgotten in the preaching, and it shouldn't be forgotten when you listen, and that the Heidelberg Catechism throughout is personal. It speaks to you and to me. That is beautiful too. That is thoroughly scriptural too. It speaks to the church, but it speaks to the church from the viewpoint of the individual believer. That is why the Catechism begins immediately uh, by asking the question, what is thine only comfort in life and death? That's the question. And therefore, beloved, you must answer that question if you want to benefit uh, from the preaching of the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, then you should answer this question just as the answer is given in this catechism, throughout, and just as the answer is given to the first Lord's Day. You must say that I am not my own, not that the people of God are not their own, and not that the church belongs to Christ, but it should make it very personal that I am not my own. That is the answer. That in life and in death, I am not my own. I don't belong to myself. I'm not my own possession. But I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That is the answer. Personal answer. I'm here. I know that I am here. And, beloved, it is from that point of view that we must briefly ask the question, uh, what is really the idea of comfort? What is comfort? A comfort is a thoroughly biblical idea. The scripture speaks of comfort throughout. The Bible is a comforting book. The Bible is a book full of comfort for the people of God in this world. I do not have to simply point a text as uh, Isaiah 40, which is also throughout a chapter of comfort. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, said your God. That is, uh, the address to the preachers and the, the prophets, comfort, comfort, comfort ye my people, said your God. Uh, but that is also the case throughout Scripture. 
all through uh, the prophets and all through the epistles of uh, the uh, apostles and all through the messages, the doctrine of Christ. And even up to the time uh, when we reach the end of the book of Revelation, when we read that God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. The Bible is a book of comfort. All right. Uh, but what is comfort? What is really true comfort? I mean in general now. Apart from this comfort in life and death. What is comfort? What is, what is the meaning of comfort? Uh, comfort, beloved, is the knowledge and the assurance of a great good over against an antithesis to a great evil. That's first. It is comfort. Comfort is a knowledge and assurance of such a great good over against the great evil that affords him that has the comfort, peace, and joy, even in the presence of that evil, that he suffers nevertheless. That is partially comfort. Uh, but it is not really and completely comfort, beloved, unless we add something to that. And that is it. Uh, comfort is the knowledge and assurance of a great good over against a great evil, and that is so great uh, that it overcomes the evil. It's not so that here is the evil and there is the good and that they stay alongside of each other and that nevertheless the knowledge of that good comforts me over against that evil, but it's so that I know that the great good that I possess is so great and so strong that it will finally remove the evil so that there's nothing left of it. That's comfort. Mustn't stay. The evil mustn't stay. Still another element. Otherwise it isn't complete yet. You know, the question arises 
in regard to all evil. Why is it that? Why is it that? Is it so that that evil has a source all its own, independent from anything else, and that now the good stands there alongside of it, and that finally that good will overcome the evil, but nevertheless the question remains, why was that evil there? Why was it ever there? Uh, and therefore we must add this too, that the great good is not only great, but that it explains the presence of the evil so that the great good could not have been reached except through the evil. That is really complete comfort. Then, then it's complete. Let me, let me uh, repeat it now. Comfort, I say, is the knowledge of a great good over against a great evil. A good that affords him that possesses the comfort, peace, and joy unspeakable. A good that is so great that it overcomes the evil so that finally nothing is left of it and a good that could not have been reached except through the way of the evil. Then I say it complete. Well, now you can understand the, uh, the catechism here. What is thine only comfort in life and death? And that I am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. The great evil, as we shall see in the future, not now, is sin. That's the great evil. Uh, is sin in all its implications. Sin as guilt... That makes me the object of God's wrath. The sin as corruption, so that I'm separated from God, so that I cannot reach God, cannot have any fellowship with Him. A sin in all its implications and in all its effects which is finally death. Death. Death in all its meaning. Death physical. Death as to the body. Death temporal. That is, I finally die. That's an awful thing, beloved. I die. That's awful. I, a man with intelligence and a will to live and to talk and to speak and to act, I must die. I must. I must presently be buried and be corrupted so that nothing is left of me, of my beautiful body, 
beautiful even though it's all crippled up. Nevertheless, it's beautiful. I must die. That's awful. Die the spiritual death, which is the death of the spirit, of the mind, of the soul, of the of the spirit of man, of the will, so that I can have no communion with God, and death eternal. I'm on the way to hell. That's true. That's the truth. I'm on the way to eternal hell by nature. But I'm a Christian. The one that speaks here is indeed one uh, that is in sin and a death and on the way to eternal death. But he's a Christian. He's a Christian. He's full of grief because of that situation. Just like to. It doesn't like to go to hell. It doesn't like to die. It doesn't like to be separated from God. It doesn't, it doesn't like sin. It's Christian. I, the I, in the first question and answer of the Harbokaragism is a Christian. Speaking from his heart. From his regenerated heart. I. And therefore, beloved, that Christian has more to say than this. We, you ask him about the comfort. Uh, what is thine comfort? What is uh, thine only comfort in life and in death? There's no other comfort. It's not a comfort that you have perhaps a little money in the bank. It's not a comfort that presently you go home and have dinner. It's not a comfort that you have a home to live in, uh, probably a nice home, uh, that has nothing to do with comfort. That's not comfort. That's certainly no comfort in life and death. No. But the catechism says, you must say this, and I must say this. This is my only comfort in life, in the whole of my life, not only in death, in the whole of my life, only comfort, in all my way, whatever I have, whatever I do, whatever is my experience. In health or in sickness, makes no difference. Makes no difference at all. My only comfort in life and in death is I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Hence, Jesus Christ is, according to the Catechism, the ground of this comfort. He is the ground. And, beloved, 
is the ground of this comfort because he is my faithful Savior. And uh, that idea of faithful Savior is more fully explained than the rest of this first Lord's Day of the Hanbertatic. I belong to my faithful Savior Jesus Christ, who, fully satisfied for all my sins, I think that period, fully satisfied for all my sins, with his precious blood, and delivered me from all the power of the devil, and so preserves me without, without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. And, listen, that belongs to the definition of comfort. Yea, that all things must be subservient to my salvation. Understand? That's the Albuquerque. The evil. The evil as a purpose. The evil as a God-given purpose. The evil as a good purpose. The evil must work together for my good. That is the idea of the Arbogadic. Now, notice uh, that uh, four elements which we cannot discuss this morning, but which I nevertheless must briefly emphasize, and which you must answer in order to have fruit. Four elements uh, that are here in the description of my faithful Savior. The one is that with his precious blood he satisfied fully for all my sins. That first. Redemption. First element. That Christ my faithful Savior entered into my life, into my nature, and that He become came one with me, and as becoming one with me, entered into my death. And entering into my death as the perfectly righteous one paid for my sin, for my guilt, so that there is nothing left of it. So that this is my comfort, beloved, and this is your comfort. Uh, that you say, I look at the evil which I confront here in the midst of the world, 
and I look at that evil from the viewpoint of my guilt, of my condemnation before God, and I say, it isn't anymore. It's gone. My sin is gone. I say that even though my conscience still condemns me. Even though I'm still in the midst of guilt and sin. Even though that is, that is a fact, beloved. And I nevertheless say, in spite of it all, my sin is no more. It isn't anymore. The second is, that that faithful Savior delivers me. He delivers me from all the power of the devil, which includes all the power of sin. He delivers me, beloved, uh, by his Holy Spirit, so that I'm not only redeemed, legally redeemed, uh, but so that I am no more a sinner. I am no more a sinner. That's probably bolder yet. What? I? I say I'm not a sinner. I sin every day. Certainly, my life testifies against me day by day. I lie, I kill, I steal, I commit adultery, I violate the first and second table of the law every day and every moment. What? Beloved, when I look at myself, I say, no, that's not true. But this is my only comfort, that I look at my Savior. I look at my Savior, at my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And then I know, I know, because he has uh, given me a spirit, and because he, by that spirit, he has principally quickened me, I know when I look at my Savior, that I'm delivered. I am delivered. I know I'm a sinner. I'm not a sinner. I'm a saint. I'm a saint. I'm holy. I'm righteous. I am. Even though I'm a sinner according to all that I, I seem to be, and nevertheless I'm holy and righteous, in Christ Jesus, my faithful Savior. Delivered. He delivers me from all the power of the devil and from all the power of evil and sin. He preserves me. I know that too. He preserves me even unto the end. And he causes everything to work unto my good, unto my salvation. That is the ground 
of the comfort. I belong to him. Does it mean that we belong to Christ? It means briefly, beloved, three things. That I belong to Christ is none of my business. I'm glad it isn't. That I belong to Christ is none of your work and my work. And I'm glad it isn't. That I belong to Christ, beloved, is first of all, and without it you cannot even start, rooted in election. That's election. You cannot start belonging to Christ, uh, talking about belong to Christ, uh, unless you talk about election. I belong to Christ because the Father has given me to him. That's all. That's the cause, the deepest cause. Without that deepest cause, I cannot belong to Christ. But the deepest cause is real. You cannot speak of belong to Christ without talking about election. Secondly, I belong to Christ because he bought me. Ye are bought with a price. He bought me. Christ bought me. According to uh, the ordinance of the Father. He bought me. He bought me when he passed through the death of the cross and paid the price not to the devil. We were in the power of the devil. We were, we belonged to the devil by nature. But uh, that was not because the devil had any right upon us, but because God gave him the right. God gave him the right to rule over us. And therefore, the price is not paid to the devil. The price is paid to God. And when Christ paid for his own, they are his. They are his because he bought them with his precious blood. And finally, that I belong to Christ. And uh, let me say again, beloved, that's not nothing of us. We didn't do anything for it. We didn't do anything for election. Of course not. We didn't do, uh, didn't do anything for the price which Christ paid for our belonging to him. Of course not. That was all paid long before we were. And so uh, that I belong to him is because and through the fact that God implants the faith in my heart. You are saved by faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. That's all. That's the end of it. I belong to Christ because of election. I belong to Christ because he bought me. I belong to Christ because he, by his Holy Spirit, worked faith in my heart so that there is tie between him and me, an inseparable tie between Christ and myself. That's all. That's the only thing. And 
Therefore, beloved, I can say, I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who redeemed me and delivered me and preserved me and works all things for my salvation. Say that, beloved. Shall we say that together once? How is it possible? How is it possible to say that? How come? Uh, the reason and the way, beloved, is this. And not that I accept anything. And not that the gospel comes to me with a condition that I must fulfill even though we say that that, uh, that that condition is a condition which God strengthens me to fulfill that doesn't happen any then I still stand before the consciousness that I must fulfill a certain condition to belong to Christ that's not true that's not scripture. We are saved by faith, and faith is a gift of God, and faith is not the condition. You cannot say, oh, please come to Christ. It's so easy. If you only fulfill the condition of faith, uh, God will accept you. That sounds... I mean, that sounds nice, that sounds very human, but it's very corrupt because then there is no salvation. There is no salvation on that condition of theology. You can never reach it. That's impossible. No, that is not the way. If you ask, what is the way to possess that comfort? I say, principally, beloved, The way is this, that Christ himself speaks to me, not I, not the Bible, but Christ himself speaks to you and to me. He does that through the preaching of the gospel, oh yes, I'm sure, I'm sure it does that also through my preaching this morning. Not because my preaching is anything, but because I'm sure my preaching was in harmony with the word of God. And Christ uses the word of God to reach the hearts of his people, of his elect, with his comfort. He does. And, beloved, when Christ, through the Holy Spirit, reaches the heart of his elect with his comfort, through his own voice and word, then, by that same word, 
He creates in the heart of the elect uh, those attitudes, those dispositions by which they begin to recognize that Christ and his word calls them to him and that they belong to him. Christ calls them. Christ calls them to him. Christ says, come to me. And when Christ says, come to me, he creates in the heart of those whom he calls the very dispositions by which they recognize that they are called by Christ. He gives them hunger and thirst after righteousness. Christ does that. And then Christ says, while he creates in their heart hunger and thirst after righteousness, come unto me and eat. Come unto me and drink. Fit. It fits. The word of Christ and the word of the scripture and the word which Christ creates in our hearts fit again. When Christ speaks, then they become weary and heavy laden with sin and iniquity. And Christ says to them, Come unto me, Ye that are weary, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will. Fits together. That's the way it is. And therefore, beloved, that gospel is not a conditional gospel, but is a gospel which Christ himself proclaims, which Christ himself speaks, which Christ himself realizes, in the heart of the elect, and through which Christ himself draws you to him. And then you say, in answer to my question, no, to the question of the Arabic Catechism, what is thine only comfort in life and death? Oh, this, I belong, I belong to my faithful Savior. He spoke to me, he called me, he created in me the true disposition of his people. And then I, uh, on his call, I went to him and I found rest. I found water. I found bread. I found life. I found remission of sins. That's the gospel. And, of course, uh, you could say probably, as I do too often, I don't always stand in that faith. No, I don't either. I sometimes doubt, you say. Yeah, I do too. You're not alone in that. I do too. I don't always stand on the heights of faith that it looks uh, when I'm preaching here. Don't ever think so. I not despise as I look when I preach. I never think so. I'm just as sinful and just as filled with weakness 
and doubt and unbelief as you are. Oh, yeah. But, beloved, there's only one cure, and that is the Word. The Word. The Word through the Spirit. The Word of clay. And do not forget this. There's something in your lives too, as in my life. You know, the Catechism says this too. He makes me sincerely willing to live unto him and to serve him. If you are of Christ, that is what, gonna, that is what happens. Then you are willing. Then you are sincerely willing, not any longer, to live unto the world. Not any longer to live in sin. Not any longer to live according to your old man, but then you are principally desires to live unto him. Maybe that's the trouble. Maybe you forget that. Maybe, maybe you don't fight. Maybe you sit down and sit in the dumps and say, Oh, I wish I had clear faith. But maybe the trouble is, beloved, that you walk in covetousness, that you walk in... Uh, uh, ways that do not show that they are, you are sincerely willing to belong to Christ and to serve him. And then I say, put away the old man. That's also scripture. Put away the old man. Fight. Fight. Through the grace of Jesus Christ, to whom you belong by faith, cast out the devil of your iniquity and stand in the faith so that you may have the three elements of the Hadamard Catechism in your life and consciousness that I know my sin and misery and how great they are and that I know Christ and all the power of his redemption and deliverance that I know how to be thankful to God for such deliverance. That is the way which in the future we must preach and discuss together. May God apply it unto your heart and mind so that you may have the only comfort in life and in death that you belong to him. Amen. Thanks, O Lord, for thy goodness. Thanks for thy grace. Thanks for thy word. Thanks for all that thou givest us day by day and especially on the Sabbath day of the riches of thy grace. Bless us at the rest of this day and forgive all our sins. Amen.